Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. No Dave this week, but I'm joined down the line by screenwriter and author Jonathan Ames. He wrote the HBO show Bored to Death, which starred Ted Danson, and uh, co-created a show called Blunt Talk with Seth MacFarlane, uh, which starred Patrick Stewart and Adrian Scarborough and ran on stars uh, for two seasons. But unfortunately, we didn't get that one in the UK, sadly. He's also the writer of four novels, one of which, The Extra Man, is being released uh, in paperback by uh, in the UK by Pushkin Press, and that's what we start talking about. But don't worry, we quickly get on to talking about Are You Being Served? Hope you enjoy. First thing I just wanted to say was how much I, I've been enjoying the book. Um, it's uh, it's great fun, but it's only recently that I realised that you wrote it some time ago, and that this is a, a UK version of the book as it were yes the, the the novel first came out in 1998 and i wrote it yeah. from 1992 into 1997 almost right. five, five years okay so that so that's a long time yeah. in coming one thing though that leaped off the page at me that i'd be keen to talk a little bit more about <laughs> is um you mentioned are you being served um, <laughs> as something that our t- that something that our odd couple end up watching together, and I'm wondering how the hell that ended up in your book um, because this is a slight. It's not a forgotten show in the UK exactly, but it's um, very much of its time. Is that a show that you were brought up watching, or is it just something that you just thought? Uh, well, I was not brought up watching it, but um, during the I lived with an eccentric gentleman upon whom Henry Harrison is somewhat based. And this was the early 90s. And on uh, an obscure channel, and back then, cable wasn't quite, there weren't quite as many channels yet, but I guess it was beginning to happen where there were more and more channels. And on one of the channels, I'm not sure what, and it was an old TV with a, you know, an antenna, uh, Are You Being Served would play every night. Uh, maybe at 11 o'clock at night or something like that. And this, this, this eccentric gentleman loved watching it, and I would watch it with him. And I loved the show, too. I must have seen, you know, dozens of episodes. Um, yeah. And I just, I just enjoyed it so much. I can't yeah. quote it the way I once did or the names of the characters. You know, but it was yeah. it was all I, I don't know. It was so dry yeah. and so silly, yeah. and and the characters were so great though. The faces and Mrs. Slocum, you know, um, yeah. I, I can't remember all their names, but they had great. Yeah, Captain, Captain Peacock, Peacock and, uh, and Mrs. Yeah. I mean, Mrs. Slocum, yeah. of course. You know, one lived for every episode for her to say, "My pussy was out all night in the rain." <laughs> You know, yeah. it was just very funny. Like, I mean, again, maybe yeah. nowadays yeah. it wouldn't be so funny, but she was hilarious. Well, they they did re they they did a new episode of it uh, last year in the UK, um, where they recast oh, it and um, they sort of gave yeah. <laughs> and actually, because it is so of its time, as it were, I, I I think it just kind of it kind of worked, and I thought it might go to series again because department stores yeah. are still a thing. Um, so I thought perhaps um, it, it might uh, it might be rebooted, but it didn't it didn't quite didn't yeah. quite take. And the, the sets were so minimal, like you know what I mean. It was I mean the whole thing was so, in a way, I guess camp is an overused word, but just kind of cheap. But the actors were so dedicated yeah. and strange, and 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and there was a number of other shows from from that stable, um, which I, I don't know if you also uh, ever got to sample. Um, because those two writers uh, were mm. prolific, and they they had like three shows on oh, at wow. one time, which in the UK at least is 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 quite an achievement. But they were three, so in a way they weren't doing twenty four episodes per series mm. like you guys uh, often do over there. But they were running three, you know, they were running, uh, you know, Heidi High and Allo, you know, there were just loads mm -hmm. of different shows that uh, that they were doing. Did you um were you sort of drawn to that? I mean, this is obviously. Our, our predominant interest in the show is situation comedy and also people who want to write sitcoms. Were sitcoms part of your upbringing in terms of, you know, we did you find yourself drawn to that format or were you, your, your books certainly show that you're kind of more of a book guy, uh, but obviously there's a huge overlap between. Yeah, well, uh, in general, I mean, my, my entry into the world of arts and writing was through books. And I think books remain my first love and the thing that I, is the medium from which I still derive the most pleasure. Um, mm. But as a child, I mean, looking back on it now, every night all I did was watch TV. And I knew the, the schedule <laughs> by heart. Now, the, there were, you know, only three, three or four channels. Uh, there was ABC, NBC, CBS, and then two local New York channels. Uh, and I, yeah. I remember the numbers. CBS was two, NBC was four, ABC was seven, and then there were two New York channels, mm. Channel 9 and Channel 11. Mm. And, and they seemed yeah. to have their different loyalties and different reruns. And uh, when I say loyalties, Channel 9, this wouldn't make too much sense for an English audience, but Channel 9 was the New York Mets, and Channel 11 was the New York okay. Yankees. And then, and then you also okay. had your different local news stations. Anyway, but I I would watch yeah. every night, probably starting around six o'clock, probably reruns Gilligan's Island. Uh, I don't, you know, the Green Hornet, yeah. Batman, oh, uh, wow. and then it, and then it would become, you know, the the sitcoms, All in the Family, Maud, yeah. Sanford and Son, and most of these produced by uh, Norman Lear were the ones that I watched, yeah. and then later, MASH. Yeah. Um, so I, all yeah. through the 70s, I watched TV. By the 80s, once I was in college, uh, I went to college in 1982, I stopped really uh, watching television. Um, yeah. I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't watch television again until sometime in the early 90s when Twin Peaks yeah. came out. Um, yeah, when you're at college, you just don't have time for it, do you? You're just too busy doing stuff, and you know it's there. The, there are shows that I'm aware were actually very significant, and I'm thinking, why didn't I see that? And I just think, oh, I was at I was at college. I just yeah, I was just yeah, I was make I was doing sketch comedy and trying to get people to think I was funny. And, uh, and I didn't I have a TV. You didn't have TVs, and and obviously, you know, now people watch so much stuff on their laptops, or but um, yeah, so I I really didn't watch TV after probably like 1981 or 82 <laughs> and so and so for you was the natural way into writing is there something that you wanted to do that that would have been books yeah. as well so that was always part of the plan yeah think, books or? was I, my goal and dream was to be a novelist and my first novel came out in 1989 uh when i was 25 um and then i struggled for many years to write a second book but then the second book was the extra man nine years later and then, and then after that, I began to 
produce books fairly um, somewhat rapidly because I, I had a, a column in an alternative paper, uh, sort of a column of my adventures, which actually did lead, if you want to talk to it, to my first TV show, my first venture into TV. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, so, yeah, 1997 in New York, I began writing for a newspaper called New York Press, and it was a, a free paper that came out once a week, and I wasn't paid very much, but I got a column in it every two weeks, and I would write up my adventures, and I turned myself into a character, yeah. and by 2000, right. and by 2000, I stopped writing the column, but for a few years, kept writing those sort of pieces and I'll try to do this quickly. And then somewhere in that mix, David Letterman took an interest in me, probably 2003. Okay. That's yeah. Help, isn't it? Um, because someone had given him my novel, The Extra Man, the book that you began this conversation with. Yeah. And he was a big reader and he really liked it. And the person who gave it to him was the talent booker. And she had seen me perform like a decade before. I used to put on these shows where I would do monologues, not unlike the essays that I would later write. And um, right. and so when she, Letterman told her, oh, you know, I really like that book you gave me, she said, well, you know, he's really funny. Because, uh, I, like I said, back then I used to perform a lot. You should have him on. So he had me on three times, 2003 to 2004. And around this time, a young producer in L.A. saw me give a reading, and he got it in his mind that I should come up with a TV show based on my essays. So my first yeah. essay collection was called What's Not to Love. So I came out to L.A. I had never written a script. This would have been around 2003 and pitched this TV yeah. show idea with me as the star. And I pitched and I pitched it as a poor man's curb your enthusiasm. And, and I said, but literally... <laughs> We're not using those but, exact but words. I said, but literally, I'm poor. So the show won't be poor in quality, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'll be like a Larry yeah. David figure, quite neurotic and yeah. confused at the center of things. And Kirby uh, enthusiasm at yeah. the time was all the rage. And anyway, Showtime yeah, yeah. took a chance on me. I'd never written a script, and they commissioned me to write a pilot. I got Final Draft. I read a few scripts. I wrote a pilot. We actually shot it, and I played myself not very well, unfortunately, which, which is why I'm in psychoanalysis now. And um, and but it it didn't go to series, but that sort right. of got my foot in the door in Hollywood. Though for the next three years, it seemed like well, I'm never going to get a shot again, and I sort of gave up on it. And I, to be honest, and I know this is oh. a, a television podcast, I I was more. Hmm. So somewhat drawn to TV because it was almost impossible to survive writing books. And also I was a performer yeah. and I guess I wanted to, I don't know, reach a wider audience and make more money or whatever yeah. motivated yeah. person. Yeah. I, I, you know, the underneath motivation perhaps one hopes is to bring joy to other people, to bring laughter uh, and make them feel less alone. But anyway, for the next three years, from 2004 to 2007, I I didn't seem like Hollywood was going to give me a chance again. But then I wrote a, a short story called Bored to Death, and um, where I, again, I, I was playing with fiction and nonfiction. I wrote it as one of, like, in the style of one of my essays, you know, Jonathan Ames, right. the narrator. 
but I came up with this yeah. notion that I'd put an ad on Craigslist as an unlicensed private detective and got a case. Right. And so that then became, yeah. that then opened up Hollywood again for me when a producer yeah. read that short story and and she and I were talk, talking and she was like, I think there's a TV show in this. And I, I had said the same. And so that's how I then got back into TV. I don't know if that's convoluted or boring for you. No, no, that's that's no, that's really interesting because I mean, because you know this is a, it was a, obviously it's a big it's a big deal and a big break and it was it was a successful show that ran for yeah. three series, um, and you got to work with Ted Danson. I mean, yeah. blimey, that's what's what's yeah. not to like. Um, and um, so, what did you what were you learning about writing? through through that and i guess once it goes to i mean it must be terrifying in a way it's the thing that you're aiming for is you write a pilot script and you rewrite it rewrite it rewrite it and then you get the green light it's like okay let's do it let's make more and you're like ah oh, well this one took me a year <laughs> um what do i do now and obviously you guys have got a bit of a machinery uh in in but it's still a frightening thing i'd imagine to 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 get that break and to sort of repeat this formula every week did, did you find that or was it not as hard well as um there was certainly a lot of terror and anxiety and fear <laughs> of failure um the thing is the pilot came very easily i wrote it in about five days maybe seven days um and and i was happy to do so because i was getting paid more for this one little 30 page pilot than i'd ever been paid for like 400 page novel like the extra man so i thought well yeah. if it ends here yeah. i'm happy this is enough money yeah you know uh I, this will keep me in the game for another few well, years as yeah, a novelist I, I, it was probably enough money to live on for you know a year or more i lived very uh frugally back then and uh and then they're like okay well if we get the right cast we'll shoot this and i had met jason schwartzman because he had read my novel wake up sir and I was trying to turn that into a movie at the time. And then so I met with him, which was thrilling. And then I told him I was working on this uh, show about, you know, a writer who becomes a private detective. And he was a big fan of the Truffaut film uh, Stolen Kisses, which was very much about a young man who briefly becomes a private detective. Um, and... So then I, I was like, I thought he'd be perfect for it. Anyway, it all came together miraculously. HBO suggested Ted Danson. I had also met, luckily, uh, Zach Galifianakis socially, and he was also interested in my movie Wake Up, Sir. And I was able to convince Zach, who at the time said he would never do TV again, to at least re read the pilot bored to death, and he did, and then he decided to do it. Um, and so yeah. it came wow. together, we shot the pilot and then they were like, yes, let's do seven, you know, write seven more. And it was very daunting, but I, I did it. I did get a writing staff, but on both my shows, uh, bored to death and blunt talk, um, you know, the writers were very helpful, but I, I tended to write like 98% of the scripts. I just... I, I was compelled to rewrite most of the dialogue because dialogue is so idiosyncratic. Um, Absolutely. The writers yeah. were yeah. so helpful with plotting and, you know, improving what I had written or coming up with funny yeah. things to, you know. Um, yeah. 
and poking holes and seeing, hey, this bit doesn't quite track, and you know, it's just it's extra. Yeah, and then also coming up with funny lines that I would use, you know. Yeah. But but I yeah. I did the bulk of the writing on all my shows, which was a lot, yeah. you know. For Blunthoff, we did two yeah. seasons in two years, and so I wrote six hundred pages in two years, which is the, the equivalent wow. of six feature films. Um, <laughs> Man, um, it'd be interesting to talk about features in a second. But um, we, as you describe uh, the the genesis of Bored to Death, I mean, what the, the the lesson there, I guess, which again, people listening to this show who are sort of aspiring to be writers, quite or, or at least starting out, is it shows you that it sort of t- you know this was a development of an idea of a pilot of a character of a persona that came from a place and then. And even then, sort of five kind of stars had to align at the same time with, with HBO, Ted Dance, and you know, yeah. and, and the rest of the cast, just just to be in with a shot. Yeah. You know, it's 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 really it's. I think that's one thing that people don't quite get is just quite is that failure is so incredibly oh, yes. likely. Yes. Um, Writing for television or getting something on. I mean, the chance. You know, it's they say you know something like ninety percent of all restaurants fail. You know, and that's kind of like, not, not, I, I would say 99% of all ideas for TV shows fail. Or, it's not necessarily because they're bad ideas, but just you, you need so many things to line up. I mean, like you say, I often, I once came up with a phrase, uh, I call it a Swiss clock of luck. Because a Swiss clock right. is so precise, moves so perfectly. Um and at the same time, to have a TV show happen, it's got to be like both precise and lucky. You know, that you find the right yeah, cast, that it yeah. all somehow happens at the same moment that Ted Danson is at this point in his career where he wants to try something different. You know, Zach Galifianakis yeah. at that point in his career, it's like, I never want to do TV. He had done a couple of bad shows, but then he decides to do TV. And then right before we shot yeah, the yeah. pilot, of uh bored to death he had just shot this movie and he came from the set of the movie and goes yeah i just did this movie called the hangover i don't think it's gonna be very good you know <laughs> and then at the end of our first season you know the after as we were finishing shooting the movie came out and jason ted and i joined zach and we went to like a midnight showing of the film and you know it's just you know yeah. luck and timing and, and you know, yeah. and then also, of course, you you can't just snap your fingers and make things happen. And for me, it was years in the making to get that opportunity. In a way, it began yeah. with me performing. I began performing in 1992 at this, you know, kind of literally underground basement nightclub called the Fez. And because that woman yeah. saw me perform there in the early 90s, 10, 11 years later she was working for Letterman and, you know, hadn't forgotten me, gave him a copy of my book. And then he had me on, which I think then gave the people that greenlit, which was Showtime, my first pilot, they greenlit, you know, me write a script. Yeah. Probably gave them confidence in me because Letterman was like, this guy's funny. But I only was on Letterman because I had, you know, was doing my own shows. Like you were talking about doing sketch comedy 10 years before and 10 years before, I'd yeah. been hoping to be discovered and wasn't, you know, like 
I would be like, is yeah. somebody kind of... And even, and even even when you were discovered, you kind of weren't. Because it took from, from that from that Fairs Club to being seen to bored to death being on television. That was 17 yes, years. Yes, let's see. I first performed... You're right. I first performed <laughs> at the nightclub in 1992. And then, um, then bored to death debuted in 2009. So, yeah, 17 years... Yeah. And of course, my first yeah. novel came out in 89, you know, and actually the yeah. person who booked me at the nightclub had seen me perform in a cafe in 1991 and somehow found me, which wasn't so easy because, you know, it was the Internet back then. And she, you know, yeah. and we didn't even have email. So, I mean, yeah, trying to explain that I've got kids who are eight and ten and trying to explain to them a world without email and without the fact that you you had only sort of four or five TV channels and you had to kind of watch oh, it when it was yeah, on. Just... They, they, they can't really get their heads around that. Uh, also in, in that interim process, uh, didn't your, didn't the extra man also become well, a movie? That took a while too. that book. And that book took me years to write. And I really struggled between my first book and my second book, 89 to 98, during which time I big gap. began to perform in part, because I was struggling with my writing, but I found that when I got on stage, right. people laughed. So, it, 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 you know, <laughs> you keep trying for the young writers and performers yeah. out there. It, the whole, the life and the arts, like any career, is perseverance. And just putting stuff yeah. out there and putting it out there yeah. with, you know, with kind of an open mind and an open heart and with joy and. You yeah. know, you sort of hope to get to the next level, but you just there's no guarantee, of course. But um, and also finding out finding out what kind of writer you are as well, because it may be that you assume you're going to work in the movies, and actually the the ideas you come up with are just uh, mm -hmm. they're television, or thinking that you're going to be a TV writer, and actually everything you write is probably more suited mm -hmm. to a novel. Um, and it takes you quite a long time to find out the opportunities there, but also mm -hmm. what you're good at, what you're passionate about. Um, but uh, in, so how did the extra man because that, that that turned into a movie yeah. with Kevin Klein, yeah. uh, which was he was one of he's amazing. Oh yeah, he, he's so good. I've um, really been lucky in my career. I've had such great actors um, involved in my projects. I mean, yeah. I mean Kevin Klein and Paul Dano in that movie. Uh, many, yeah. uh, you know, the, some of the smaller roles were also actors yeah uh, that came about let's see that that book came out in 1998 the extra man and then became a film in 2010 so that was kind of 12 years in the making um <laughs> were you were you involved in in the, the scripting of that at all or were you kind of thrown clear um, from that particular I, I was project involved or? i i wrote a draft uh i on spec for the extra man and then um right and then i've also written a draft on spec, uh, you know, adapting my novel, Wake Up, Sir. Um, and we were yeah. looking for a director for Wake Up, Sir. And uh, by mistake, um, the people that I was working with at the time uh, sent my script for The Extra Man to the directors, Berman and Colcini, but they, they were supposed to get Wake Up, Sir. <laughs> because at the time, I did have a director... <laughs> Attached to the extra man, a very nice, uh, actually British director, Richard Longcrane, but um, right. but we weren't getting the film made, and then they read the script and really wanted it, and um, 
So they took my script, and I hadn't written a lot of scripts at that time. Um, but and uh, they they took that script, and then they uh, kind of rewrote it uh, and did their own thing with it. Uh, but I am credited as one of the screenwriters. Right. Okay. Were you, were you kind of happy with what they did with it in the end, or were you? Sort of like, yes. I mean, um, it's um, you know that book was very personal to me because it it was mm. the novel that you know I many people have a case of what's called second novelitis where you you just yeah. it's very hard to produce a second book because you you have a greater level of self consciousness of. Oh my God! This yeah. I, when you put something out in the world, and 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 you're just more you can't follow through. I mean, I think we all face that in life, different whatever yeah. our careers we. And so I really faltered, but then I came through, and I you know nine years later published it, and it meant the world to me. So I, I think the movie it was going to be hard for the movie to live up to the importance of that book in my life. Because that book, by being yeah. able to write that book, I sort of said to myself, that, to the world, not that the world cared at all, I am a writer. I can, <laughs> I can write yeah. a second book, you know. And, uh, but the yeah. movie, nevertheless, is very strong um, and, and funny <clears throat> and, and, you know, um, and captured a lot of the spirit of the novel. And Kevin Klein is brilliant, and so is Paul Dano. And so the directors, you know, they yeah. did a very good job. Uh, but but that yeah, yeah. it was a little bit hard for me to totally um, accept its transformation, only because the novel, the novel was so personal to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, Give, yeah. Given that we've we've got, uh, um, are you being served? Uh, in your life and in the book, uh, it's sort of I can see how that. But also, as I'm reading, it's interesting to know how personal the novel is because I can I can see um, in in the hero how there is a um, so much introspection and so mm -hmm. much worry and so much of you know he's he's sort of trying to copy the, this sort of this gentleman image that he's reading about in loads of these great books and uh, you know. Uh, Fitzgerald and Woodhouse and stuff, um, and I'm wondering if you know that speaks of a of a of a younger version of you who was really who's really unconfident as a writer in terms of what they were uh, worried about. And I wonder if now you look back on that guy, as it were, and have advice for them. It's just like, oh man, you got to stop worrying about this, or you tell you what, you should have been more worried about this other thing, or you know, who? What would you say yeah, to that so guy? A good question. I mean. I mean, you know, well, the book was um, in many ways autobiographical, but at the same time, I wasn't that character. For example, I, I was not a cross-dresser, but I, I, I took certain <laughs> aspects of my own character yeah. and exaggerated them because I had questions along those lines or, you know, my own yeah. gender, sexuality confusions that I had to work through. So for the novel, I made all mm. these things... Uh, I, I, I sort of either made them more extreme or made it one direction, you know, because by the end of the book, yeah. in a sense, he sort of overcomes this need to uh, cross-dress. You know, he sort of has found yeah. himself that he maybe has come to realize I am a man and this is my destiny yeah. and I can't, this is who I am. And in some ways, the desire to cross-dress was he's so 
loved women that but felt so incapable of getting them that it was almost like if I become a woman, then maybe I can have a relationship with one. But um, yeah. I, yeah. what I yeah. would tell the young writer who is writing it, because it's, it's this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Like I don't remember that young man. Um, I don't remember his concerns. And my God, the hours he—I talk about he it was me—must have put in yeah. to write that book over years and sitting down. And I have memories, kind of like postcards or like a movie montage. Like there I am at that desk, and you know, and my clunky old computers that I had or laptops and just um but yeah so I, I don't know what I would tell He's him also, because you know yeah. I we all have to struggle and I'm still struggling yeah um I guess I would tell him yeah. to be kinder to himself um that's right. more to the young writer I mean I think compassion for yeah, self yeah is very important so that we can then have compassion for others. Uh, I was always very cruel, and I still am in my mind to myself. Hello, me again. Hope you're enjoying this interview with Jonathan Ames. We'll get back to it in a moment. I just wanted to mention that if you like this sort of thing and you want more access faster to more interviews, you might consider joining us on Patreon. Um, If you join now, you'll get access to interviews we've already done with Stephen Moffat and Al Murray, and also some Patreon-only podcasts as well. And we'll also read the first 10 pages of your script if you send it to us and you're a Patreon member, and we'll do a little podcast about it too. Plus you get copies of Dave's book and my book, and also the warm feeling of helping out your fellow man. So do consider that. But meanwhile, let's return to the interview with Jonathan Ames. One question we often end up talking um, about with uh, writers is, in our experience, um, there are two kinds of writer. Uh, there are ones who love writing, and then there are ones who love having written, mm-hmm. and they actually hate writing. And I'm wondering which of those two you, you, you would say um, that you that, are. That's interesting. I mean, you know, oftentimes these desires to, um, you know, <laughs> like say, this, you know, make it very black and white, but you know, like yeah. some people like spicy food, and there are those who like spicy food, those yeah. who don't. Um, I, I would yeah. say, for me, I don't know that I fall easily into either category, but but okay. there's a reason okay. why. I mean, I think Thomas Mann had a great quote. He said, uh, writing is difficult for writers. So if you care about writing, it's going to be difficult, because the yeah. sentence, how do you convey with truth or honesty or humor what you want to say. I mean, grammar itself is perplexing. And so so writing yeah. is difficult, and I avoid it like the plague. I procrastinate. But then sometimes when I am sitting down and writing, and I'm not one of these people that can write for eight hours and, you know, be tossing flowers right. into the air, you know. It, I, I have, <laughs> a, and certainly of late, my focus and concentration seems weakened. I I think our modern culture with the phones and the internet, it's, you know, this is part of the problem in the 21st century is that we're so distracted. We're distracted from ourselves, from each other, from the world, constantly looking at phones. Anyway, um, so I I think it's a mix of pleasure and and struggle. Uh, And then, but then I, I definitely, like once having written, 
you do have a sense of accomplishment. It's a little bit like having exercise yeah. that day. Like, all right, I did it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I tried. Um, and also, there are, especially in uh, sitcom writing, there, is, there are various sort of schools of thought. I mean, I'm by nature a planner, so I, I tend to plan stuff in fairly great detail before I start writing. But others just like, ah, oh, you just start writing and then you'll kind of figure it out as you go. Are you, are you a planner or are you a, you know, well, a writer? With, with TV writing, um, everything had to be very planned because you had to get everything yeah. approved every step of the way. So like with HBO, you know, I would first, I guess, submit... Uh, caps what they called capsules for every story almost like every episode so there would be like a two-page summary almost you know written like a little narrative which was um to my played to my strength because i was a prose writer but you know and then so hbo would approve that and say okay now you can outline or they would give some feedback on that um and but and then you would you know, that's when I would work with the writers and really come up with an outline. And I would work with them for the capsule as well. And then the outline would be approved. And then we would follow the outline very closely for the script. But, you know, sometimes derivating. And um, so in the case of TV writing, very planned. Yeah, there's no there's no real option of, about doing that, is there, because of the format. But in terms of novels and essays... Yeah, that is much more... Um, having an idea, just sitting down and trying to start climbing the mountain. And then when, or like, it's like rock climbing. Okay, I've got a, a, a foothold and a handhold here. Oh, I think I'll go there now. But oftentimes you have, I usually had, at least when I was writing essays and maybe novels, there's this point or place or moment you want to get to. And uh, Ian e. Foster sort of, I once read a great quote from him, talking about a passage to India where he knew somehow, maybe this is what inspired him to write the book, that something happened in these caves, the Malabar Caves. It's been a long time since I read the book or saw the movie, and but that he wanted to get there. Now, he did, couldn't begin there, but that's where he wanted to get to. Yeah. So a lot of times it's very good to get to the moment. You know, uh, I haven't read Moby Dick, but... I imagine, you know, he wanted to get to the moment where Ahab is finally battling the white whale. You, you know? haven't read the great American novel. I that's know, incredible. I haven't, I haven't. Don't, don't, don't tell well, anyone. That's a scoop. That's an exclusive. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Nobody, nobody that'll, that'll yeah. be our secret. Um, and so uh, looking ahead uh, to the future, what do you find yourself most excited about writing Writing next? You've drawn back towards TV. I know you've done, since Board of Death, you did a Blunt Talk, um, which ran for a, a two years, which, and again, probably involved you writing more, you know, more per year than at other point in your life. Um, but uh, what, what are you excited about next? Or, or is it just, you know, what, what, what's not yeah. you, do you um, think? Well, I had a, a novella come out in the States in this past year, um, You Were Never Really Here, uh, which was my first right. thriller, uh, attempt at genre writing. And that, and that became a movie, mm -hmm. You Were Never Really Here, um, ah, yeah, directed sure. by Lynn Ramsey with Joaquin Phoenix. And, well, and yeah, uh, the same people that are putting out The Extra Man, Pushkin Press, in England, uh, published, uh, you know, uh, You Were Never Really Here. 
So I've been working yeah. on the sequel to that, uh, to the novella, okay. but I, I've been struggling, and I can't say, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I'm excited about anything at the moment. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit confused, a, a little bit stuck, um, and, yeah. and um, I, I don't know. It's one of those times of, of well, all t- I think all times are times of struggle. I'm struggling yeah. to write at the moment, and most of it is yeah. starts with me, and and some of it is the world is in such a disturbed state of affairs, <laughs> and I've always been someone yeah. who's very concerned about the environment, and always tried to put in messages about the environment, but um, you know we're just we're we're just increasingly in a time of cataclysmic weather, and. We yeah. we did you know we've known this was coming for decades. I I'm, I was very upset yeah. about more upset as a young person. You know I I was against cars. I only wanted to ride my bicycle. I uh, I was reading yeah. articles in the late eighties after the NASA report uh, when they went up in space and looked down at the planet and they're like um, things are happening. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> the, the will to yeah. change was not great yeah. enough. Uh, yeah. But it's hard to, um, if, if there's a, something like that you care about a lot, it is hard to fictionalize that without it sounding yeah. preachy, isn't it? It's hard to, to turn ideas into characters because stories tend to be much more ambiguous, yeah. don't they? Well, I, I um you know, I would just try to at least have characters acknowledge what was going on, you know, to show, show awareness so that, I don't know, so, so that at least is, we're not committing, at least there's not total denial, you know, so that, that's where I guess I <laughs> would try to put these, work these yeah. things in. In Blunt Talk, which yeah. was, you know, about, you know, cable news broadcast, I couldn't be ahead of the news yeah. But the one issue that was always going on was the environment. So both seasons yeah. kind of focused on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, that's a show that people over here are, are not aware of, and I, I'm I'm very excited well, about it because I, I I'm looking because it didn't make it to the UK that in a way that I well, saw at least, and the the cast of Patrick Stewart and Adrian Scarborough. <laughs> Um, sounds sounds great. Um, Adrian Scarborough was in episodes of a show that I uh, wrote was involved in writing uh-huh. called Miranda, um, and he's got a ton of you know of, of more yeah. or less credits than that. But it just looks great. Um, how, how did how did that show come about, and what you know? What, yeah, well, for, and also Dolly Wells, who's also English, is it, it, oh, in yes, the show, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, and Jackie Weaver, who's Australian, but um, to Americans she might sound English. Um, and uh, but Patrick Stewart and Adrian Scarborough were just brilliant together. Um, I sort of did a PG Woodhouse relationship with them in that Patrick Stewart plays a, uh, a cable news host here in the states, but he's English, kind of like um, oh god, I'm uh, Piers Morgan in a way. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah, different. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about sorry about Piers oh, Morgan. But, oh, well, a different sort of character, but at least the idea that uh, you know an English newscaster could get a prominent spot in the U.S. So that kind of gave me that you know uh, sort of uh, clearance in a sense that this wasn't 
far-fetched. But um, a- anyway, and then Adrian Scarborough played uh, Patrick Stewart's valet, you know, uh, his sort of man. And so it was a very Worcester-Jeeves kind of relationship. Uh, yeah, and they were really funny together. Um, and how that came about was that uh, Seth MacFarlane uh, wanted to do a TV show with Patrick Stewart, and because they had worked together on, you know, uh, Seth's uh, animated show, um, I forget which one, but Patrick voiced, you know, some CIA operative or something. Um, and anyway, uh, Seth MacFarlane needed a writer to come up with an idea for Patrick Stewart, and I was to get on the phone with Seth MacFarlane, which was a great opportunity, but I needed to come up with an idea. And so the night before I was uh, to speak <laughs> with him, wow, I was before. channel surfing, and I saw Piers Morgan on CNN. And I thought, this could be a great vehicle for Patrick Stewart in kind of a, a Larry Sanders mode, um, you know, to sort of live behind the scenes of this cable news host. And I had been told in a somewhat convoluted way that Seth MacFarlane was looking to do Patrick Stewart. That's what my agent had written. Because he said, do you want to get on the phone with Seth MacFarlane? I said, yes, of course. What's it about? And he said, uh, Patrick Stewart uh, doing Larry Sanders. And I thought, okay, well, they've already done Larry Sanders. And, you know, uh, that could be odd. It was such a great show. But then I'm channel serving. I thought, well, an adjacent world could be this. So when I got on the phone with Seth MacFarlane, he says, do you know what I'm looking for? And I said, well, uh, Patrick Stewart doing Larry Sanders. He said, no, 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 no. I don't want to, you know, do something like, you know, that exact premise. He said, I, I just want that tone. I want a kind of funny cable comedy. And I said, well, that said, you know, an adjacent world, but a very good setup for a comedy, you know, it could be a cable news host and living behind the scenes. You know, it's a formula that's certainly been done. And, uh, and, and a cable news staff is not unlike the staff of, are you being served? You've got a whole world. You know, somebody <laughs> said something like TV shows are about yeah. families. So, so anyway, yeah, I proposed yeah. this on the phone to Seth MacFarlane, and he really liked it. And, um, yeah. and so I must have fleshed it out some more and, he decided to go with me, and then, then Patrick Stewart, I had to meet Patrick, and Patrick had to approve me, and he, he read my novel, Wake Up, Sir, and then we met. Uh, I was living in Brooklyn at the time, where I had lived for many years, and Patrick spends part of his life in Brooklyn, and so we met in Brooklyn and hit it off, and um, I began to flesh out the character, and I ended up naming him Walter Blunt, because that was the first role in Shakespeare that Patrick Stewart had played uh, in, in Henry the Fourth, And Walter Blunt is a character who brings some news, but the king says something like, it's, it's news as old as an old fish or something, which was kind oh, of... Juicy, and so then once great. I had that name, Walter Blunt, then I thought, well, then his show could be Blunt Talk, you know, because these news shows always like... You know, it used to be Perfect. the O'Reilly Factor or you know, Anderson yeah, Cooper yeah. 360. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. but, so that that's how that came about. And it, uh, unfortunately, I don't know if one can see it in the UK. The only way to 
see it, but probably in the UK you can't, is to rent it on Amazon. Okay. Well, I shall I shall look hard for but it. But I don't know if you can in the UK. You know, for various reasons. And so, what did what did you what did you learn doing that show? So I let's see, what did I learn? <laughs> I don't. I it was very hard, of course. Um, you, you know, being a, a showrunner is tremendous responsibility. You have this. It's like three uh, jobs. It's insane. You know, I think that in in Britain, in England, the the writers crave more power. But mm-hmm. then when you tell them what a showrunner does, it's just like, whoa, I don't want that much power. That, I mean, you need, that's a three-man job, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, you know, and cer- certainly when you're shooting, um, which are, you know, 12 to 14-hour days, you know, you're on set the whole time. Because especially with comedy, if it's not working, you've got to fix it in the moment. It's not like drama where, like, okay, we got that information across. There was a... <laughs> A, a dagger was found under the bed. You just need someone to say that, you know. How but can you comedy, how can you say that's what drama is? But yeah, sure, you're pushing against an open door here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, I'm just, but in yeah, terms yeah, of yeah. like the writer being on set, if you know, hopefully the scene will work more or less, or you could cut it, you cut around it. But you know, it's a lot of information being conveyed. But in comedy, if the laugh isn't landing, you've got to change it up right in the moment because you also don't have really any rehearsal time yeah. you get you get one table read so you you get pretty good at knowing if the scene will work and what makes the scene work and so there's just the being on set but then while you're shooting you're still in my case i never had all the episodes written so then i would have be writing on the weekends and then during the week while we're shooting i also needed to be editing uh the episodes that we were finishing up and then, and then casting the episodes that to come, and approving the wardrobe and the locations that were found. So it's a million decisions, and of course you have a lot of people around you. But ultimately, you know, and if, and I think for a show to, it, at least the way I did it, maybe coming from the world of novels, I I exerted a lot of control because the whole thing. I needed to please me, whether it be the wardrobes they were wearing or, you know, the props that were, you know, visible in the set. Uh, I kind of cast my eye over everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and But it's, you know, a great, it's a great job. Yeah, um, it's real work, right? Yeah, and you yeah. make, you know, you make a good living and you work with people and there's a lot of joy, but there's, you know, we all drive ourselves, and so, you know, one worries about failing or not being able to do it, or, and then there's so many people to please, you know, you've got to please the network, you've got to please the actors, you, you know, um, so anyway... I, I, so I don't. I don't know what I learned. I, yeah, it's hard I, to know, given that you barely had time to think for the whole, for for two whole years. You know, when you're making this show, it's just. And I guess there's always that difficulty of. And you know, I said this to another, a fellow writer the other day because I'm script editing a, a, a show, mm-hmm. and um, he was sort of complaining a little bit about this and that. And I just said, hey, just bear in mind you're complaining about a show that is actually on TV. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's very easy the moment it stops to wish you got it back, but it's yeah. you know those those planets don't align that often. Yeah, um, yeah and so, no, and yeah. I would often I I was very uh, close to one of my writers who had been a script supervisor on Bored to Death, and then I made her a writer on Blunt Talk, and I was very aware, especially because Bored to Death had been cancelled, that 
to appreciate this, you know, to yeah. appreciate every moment. Like, oh my God, look, they're feeding us. Or, <laughs> wow, Patrick Stewart is like saying this funny line I written. Yeah. You, you know what I yeah. mean? To really try to step back yeah. and appreciate the moment, which we have yeah. to do everything in life. Like right now, like. I'm going to talk to you, and you yeah. know I've got coffee in my system, and uh, yeah. you know this is a good moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's a good moment. It's been a good moment for me too. Um, yeah, we should just uh, probably uh, round these things off then. Um, uh, thanks so much for uh, for uh, for being on the on the show. It sounds like you've. Um, I, I mean, it sounds like you're in a bit of a creative kind of uh, impasse at the moment. Do you have any? Do you have any things that you do to get you out of that? Do you have any kind of ways of sh kind of shaking things up, or is it just like it's just a bit of a waiting game? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think. Well, start I, doing the taxes. I, if you start doing your receipts and your taxes, oh that really makes you creative. Oh you God! Well, that that's sort of what kills me is seeing all these papers pile up around my <laughs> desk and things that I need to attend to. I mean, these are you know nice problems to have, but yeah, um, but. I'm also trying to help some other people get some TV shows going more like yeah. in a supervisor kind of capacity. So I'm doing a bit of that, but um, so it's not, it is, but it is a little bit of a creative lull. I think the only way to get out of it is to sit down and to be disciplined and to try yeah. um, and, you know, have a reasonable goal. I'm going to write one page a day or yeah. I'm going to sit at my desk and with a, you know, a yellow pad and jot down ideas. I often, I think, you know, and I should take my own advice, you know, for most of us, the next generation will be different. We sort of learn to be creative with a pencil in our hand or a crayon. And yeah. so I, th I think there's a connection from the brain to the hand. And, yeah. and so if, if, if it might be helpful just to scribble down ideas and then move into typing, which is maybe the next level of yeah. making things a little bit more solid. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, I've, I've got myself recently an Apple Pencil so I can go back to writing manually, as it were, especially mm -hmm. with notes and stuff on an iPad. Mm -hmm. um, and it does make a difference because you're, you're, yeah, the way your hand moves and your brain, especially if you're my age or older, um, I don't know what these kids are doing now. Uh, <laughs> maybe they can write a novel on a phone or something. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I know I couldn't. Um, but hey, um, it's been so great to talk to you. Um, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm really enjoying uh, your your book, and I'm really looking forward to reading. It sounds like um, uh, your other book. Uh, sorry, that comes after us. I've just lost it on the phone. Oh, no, um, uh, Wake up, sir. Sounds like it really is up my street. So I'm very much looking forward uh, to following up uh, by yeah. reading by reading that. Yeah, well, that one is very much a thematic sequel to the extra man and right. in fact the character in that book is also a writer and he's working on a book that bears a, a strong resemblance to the extra man so um <laughs> okay. yeah that sounds like i'm reading them in the right order at least yes i think so yeah. that's great um thanks so much uh, for talking to us and for uh, for sharing your insights and wisdom i'm really grateful um thanks very much indeed well thank you for having me 